here at the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel, and we're looking at maybe one of the most significant messages ever taught. Most theologians agree that the message was only about 20 minutes in length, and yet, if you added up all the times it's been taught in the last 2,000 years, maybe it's the longest message ever taught. For sure, it's the sweetest message that I've ever heard. It's called the Beatitudes. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. It begins this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this weekend, we're gonna unpack the idea of what it means to be blessed and what it means to inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think that there's a lot of things here that we quote and we don't really understand. I believe that God has a lot for us today. Good morning, JFC. How are you guys all doing today? Wow, it's great to be with you. My name is DJ Smith. I'm the campus pastor at our Castle Rock campus, and it's always a privilege to bring God's word to you. I want to welcome uh, everybody listening online, those that will uh, download the podcast at any point in the future. It's good to have you all with us, as well as all of our campuses that are also meeting uh, this morning. Man, uh, I'm excited about this series. Uh, as Pastor John said, this is our Beatitude series. It's a brand new series, and we're doing something a little bit different and uh, what we're doing, you know, we got a bunch of pastors in a room and we're praying and asking God, you know, not only what he wants to say to his people, but how he wants to say it. And how many of you know that can be a dangerous thing? Yeah, so we decided uh, to try something new and we're going to actually have two 20-minute sermonettes this morning instead of one longer sermon. So the good news for you is if you don't like kind of what I'm sharing, don't go home because in 20 minutes, actually in 19 minutes now, Pastor Terry Hilders will be up here with part two of the Beatitudes and you may like that more. So, you know, just, you know, use the restrooms, grab yourself a cup of coffee, whatever. Uh, but it is, uh, I do believe that God has a word that is going to inspire and is going to change our lives as his word always does today. So, uh, hey, Beatitudes, our new series. Uh, Beatitudes simply means supreme blessedness or happiness. It can mean even heavenly happiness. If you're living in West Monroe, Louisiana, you might say happy, happy, happy uh, are those who, you know, anyway. Uh, sorry, a little shout out to my, my Duck Dynasty peeps out there. Um, but it is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And uh, wow, what a powerful compilation of statements that are really oxymorons in a sense. I believe that Jesus kind of began his message by just going for the jugular, just going for uh, making some statements that were provocative, that were controversial, that were uh, challenging to the status quo and to the way that we would normally look at things. And this one is no exception. In, in uh, verse 3 of chapter 5 is the very first statement Jesus makes, and it says simply this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, the way that typically we would look at poverty and at being poor is probably in most cases not a favorable one. I don't think that any of us, you know, kind of sets out early on in our lives like, yeah, what are you going to school for? Oh, I'm going to school to be poor. You know, that's typically just not how we think, right? I mean, okay, uh, just want to make sure, okay, uh, you know, we, we want to make a good living. We want to do well. We want to have enough. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, the Bible honors 
uh, those that have made good decisions and have taken risks and have worked hard. If you, you can't even open the book of Proverbs without finding commendation from God for those who have, through their choices, through their diligence, through whatever. I mean, just look at chapter 21, verse 3. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. Chapter 21, sorry, that was verse 5. Uh, chapter 22, verse 4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. So, again, I hope we all understand that the Bible is not kind of an Occupy, you know, uh, Wall Street type of a book. You know, like, hey, you know, we're the 99%. That's not what we're talking about. There's great honor. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And I believe that God is filled with respect and honor for those that have made good decisions, worked hard, prepared themselves, taken risks, and who perhaps in some way are inheriting, even in this life, some of the rewards of that. So I just want to be clear about that starting out. But Jesus does begin this message with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does that word poor mean? You know, I mean, let's understand that. What is it talking about? Well, uh, the word in the Greek there that Jesus uses means crouched over like a beggar, completely destitute, and lacking in resources. Crouched over like a beggar, completely destitute, and lacking in resources. Wow, okay, so... <laughs> It does mean <laughs> what we thought. It does mean poor, right? Uh, at uh, Junior Achievement, where I worked years ago, we taught kids financial education, and we simply used the definition, lacking the resources needed to thrive, right? Poverty is lacking the resources needed to thrive. And uh, if we unpack that for a second, you know, the first type of poverty that would come to mind is probably financial poverty, right? If I don't have the money that I need to pay the rent or the mortgage, to go to the grocery store, to buy backpacks and shoes for my kids and pencils in September, you know, whatever it might be, then I would say, okay, yes, I am financially poor. I get that. But that's not the only type of poverty that we can have in our lives, is it? I believe that, you know, perhaps some of you have moved here from another state or another part of the country. And maybe you find yourself going, wow, I really miss my family. I really miss being able to go out to eat on a Sunday afternoon and be with those that I really love and who understand me and who get me and who care about me. And it feels a little bit lonelier. Man, at our other church, we were part of a great small group or part of a, you know, a tight-knit group of friends. And so you might find yourself being poor in friendships, being poor relationally. Or perhaps you're in business and you're going, oh my goodness, I'm faced with some decisions that I simply don't know what to do. I've got to downscale. I've got to figure out. I got a text about a week ago saying, I've got to recommend three people to be laid off. I don't know what to do. Would you pray for me? And you might feel overwhelmed at being poor in wisdom, meaning, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move our company forward. So you might be poor in wisdom. Does that make sense? Even though you've got all the money in the bank that you would ever need. Or perhaps you're poor in your health. And you're going, wow, I've got friends, maybe I've got all the wisdom, maybe I've got all the money I need, but wow, I'm struggling with an illness, and it is not within me. I don't have the resources. Maybe even medicine doesn't have the resources to heal me, to change my life for the better, to fix this situation. I am poor in my health. I don't have the resources I need to thrive. No matter which of those areas, if any, you may find yourself poor in today, or I may find myself poor in. One that I believe we are all on the same page and all on the level playing field 
is that we are all poor when it comes to the things of the Spirit. Would you agree? Here's what I mean by that. When it comes to the righteousness of God, when it comes to having our name written in the Lamb's book of life, when it comes to being good enough to enter heaven and to have salvation, the Bible is very clear. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, right? The second part of that verse says, and are justified freely by His grace. So there's good news there, but when we admit, wow, I'm poor in spirit. I don't have the needed resources to be good enough for God. I can't possibly be righteous enough to inherit salvation. What about this? Let's not just talk about salvation there and then. What about having the life that God wants us to have now? We talked about beatitudes meaning supreme blessedness or happiness, even heavenly happiness. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know we talk about the fact that Jesus came not just to bring salvation in heaven so that we could be with him for eternity. I'm thankful. Are you thankful for that? Man, I'm thankful for heaven. Believe me. But Jesus also came so that we could bring heaven to earth. Jesus came to bring heaven to earth, but he wants you and me to also be experiencing heaven and to be bringing that to other people right here and now. And I believe that just like we can't accomplish salvation in our own efforts, and we are poor in spirit, meaning I don't have the resources to earn salvation. I don't have what it takes. I could never do it. In the same way, we don't have the resources to live the abundant life that Jesus came to bring now. Would you agree with that? No matter how hard we try, no matter how dedicated we are, no matter how disciplined, no matter how much we try to read the Bible or do this or do that, man, in our own resources, we can't truly enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. So I believe that in that scenario, we all find ourselves on a level playing field. Here's the good news. Jesus says in Luke, excuse me, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I did not come to call the righteous. Guess what? How many are really righteous without Jesus? Okay, just so we get that, okay? He was kind of like with a wink, like I didn't come to call the righteous because none of you are hello i came to call sinners to repentance so the good news is when we all admit man we're on a level playing field we are all lacking the resources we are all poor when it comes to the life that god wants us to have guess what you just qualified yourself to be one of the ones that jesus came to bring his life to you just qualified yourself to be a candidate for the resources of heaven <laughs> There is good news here, people. Here's the deal. What is it that Jesus is pointing to when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit? Why is he calling attention and highlighting the poor in this scenario? I believe it's because there are two things that we find in the poor, oftentimes, perhaps not always, but oftentimes, that are attractive to God. Two attitudes, two, two mindsets that the poor have that are attractive and attract God. Do you want to hear them? The first one is need. God is attracted to need. Do you know that? We serve a compassionate God. I'm telling you what, if you look at the New Testament and look at the life of Jesus, you can't help but see the compassion of the Father. He was moved to compassion. He cares about your problems. He cares about your health. He cares about your heartache. He cares about your loneliness. Jesus is not one who stands aloof going, well, I sure hope you figure that out. His heart comes running to you when he sees that you're in need. In looking at Jesus, it says that he would go, and one time he crossed over from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and the crowds, you know, he's trying to get away because he was tired, but the crowds followed him. And it says he had compassion on them. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them, and he healed their sick. And it says that literally his, the word for he had compassion is that his insides were moved. And it says literally his organs, his organs in his abdomen were contorted and tied in knots. Have you ever felt that way? Perhaps it's someone you love going through a difficult situation and you just don't know how to help, but you're just like, oh, what can I do? I want to help them. That is the way Jesus is moved to compassion for you. We serve a merciful God and he is moved by our need. But the second part of that he's also moved by is faith. God is moved by faith. You know what? Um, my wife and I love to uh, look at, at houses. Um, we, we're, we've been in a, sort of an eternal holding pattern of looking at different houses and thinking that one day we're going to buy a house and move. Uh, but bless Max Johnson's heart, our realtor, uh, you know, he has a man of tremendous patience uh, as he has shown us house upon house and helped to see, you know, so many houses that we still haven't pulled the trigger. Uh, I'm sure he's, you know, just praying, you know, stretching forth his hands even now that maybe today will be the day. But anyway, we like to go in and look at different homes that are for sale and it's almost a hobby that we have. And, uh, you know, we go in and we look and we're like, oh man, look at these hardwood floors. And, oh man, look at these granite, you know, countertops. Oh, look at this bathroom and the tile and the decorative and, you know, look at all this and the faucets and, you know, we all look at the, like that stuff. But once in a while, I'm not going to lie to you, we're in a home and we get that little teeny sort of tingling feeling in the back of our mind that says, you're way out of your league. You're a poser. You shouldn't be in here. There's no way you can afford this house. <laughs> Have you ever had, and you're kind of like, I know, but they don't know that. <laughs> so just pretend like, yes, well, hmm, okay, seven bedrooms, five baths, two lofts. Yes, well, we've been looking for something like that. Here's the deal. <laughs> we realize we're way over our heads, but here's the truth of it. The life that God wants you and me to experience, we will never experience until we realize it's way out of our league and it's way over our head. It's like a bling house. It's cost $3 billion. It's way beyond what I could ever achieve. I don't have the resources to get that. And that's where faith comes in. Because when I admit, God, I am lacking in resources to have the great things that you want for me, your joy, your peace, your life, your goodness, man, your, your boldness in my life, the abundant life of God, the life of the Spirit. When I recognize I am poor, poor in spirit, I need you. And then when I couple that with, but I believe you're good enough that you, I'm just crazy enough, I'm just, it doesn't make sense, but my faith says you want me to have that. Because of your resources, that's where the supernatural begins to happen. That's where the resources of heaven and the kingdom of heaven begins to be accessible to us. Do you know how I know this? Because it's God's promise. In the second half of that statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs, theirs, yours, when you realize that you need him and you don't have the resources, when you realize how good he is and believe that because of who Jesus is, he wants you to have the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see? How do I know? How do I know that he wants to give you and me the kingdom? It's because of what Jesus did. 
That's the good news, plain and simple. It's what we preach. It is what we believe. It is what we live. It's not about what I can earn or achieve or purchase by my own goodness. It's because of Jesus. Isn't that good news? I'm so, I'm so happy that it's because of him. It's because he was perfect and I'm imperfect. It's because he was righteous when I'm in unrighteous. It was because he was flawless when I am flawed that I can have the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, 31 and 32 says this. It's a powerful verse. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Wow, I hope you get this, and I hope that I get it. If he did not spare Jesus, but gave him up for us so that we could have heaven, how much more will he not graciously, along with him, give us all things to have the kingdom of heaven now be a reality in our lives? I want to stop for a minute and say this. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never realized, oh my gosh, it's not about what I can earn. It's not about being good enough. It's not about a checklist, but it's truly a gift of eternal life because of what Jesus did for me. Tell you what, right now, whisper this prayer. God, I need you. God, I give my heart to you. God, I want your gift of eternal life. Jesus, I'm tired of trying to be good enough. And I realize I am poor in spirit. I can never earn it. I want your gift of salvation. I'm telling you what, if you pray that prayer right now, wherever you are in this room or listening on the other side of the world through the internet, Jesus will come to you and make his home with you. You will be born of his spirit and taste his eternal life and begin the abundant life now. It's powerful. I'm telling you what, this is real. The good news of who Jesus is. It's because of what he did. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that when we realize that we are poor and don't have the resources, but that he is so good and we truly believe that because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, we can have the kingdom of God. I tell you what, I think there's two things that we can take away from that. One is for ourselves. And that is this. What areas have I been struggling with? Have I been trying to pull it together? Have I been trying to figure out? Have I been wrestling with? Have I been discouraged or overwhelmed by? That I feel today the Holy Spirit saying, hey, man, just admit that you need me. Just be poor in spirit as you approach me. Coupled with the faith that says, wow, Father, I am so needful of you, but man, you're so good. You're so merciful. Your, your ears are open to my prayer. Your heart is open towards me and you want to step in and make the resources of heaven available to me right now. I'm telling you what, if you will do that, God will meet you right where you are and you will see the kingdom of heaven be a reality in your life. The second way that we can walk out of here today is saying, wow, you know what, God? Who have you placed around me? What people have you placed in my life? that you're wanting me to be a channel of the kingdom of heaven too. Because you see what? There's people all around us, and our tendency, I don't know about you, but our tendency is to kind of flee from that, you know? If there's people that kind of, you know, don't have it together, and I feel like they're wanting something that I have, and, you know, it's easy to just go, uh, 
How can I insulate and isolate myself from those people? But oftentimes, those are the people, the lonely, the broken, the hurting, those people that have lost a loved one, those people that are fighting a sickness, those people that are struggling in any area, financially or in any other area of their life, that are truly poor in spirit and that are looking for someone beyond themselves to help them. You know what? Wow. What if we prayed, God, send us to the poor in spirit? God, bring someone who's poor in spirit into my path today that I could just share the love of Jesus with, that I could be Jesus too. Do you believe God could use you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your mercy and your goodness, Jesus. God, I thank you that even in such a simple statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's such power to that. There's such a promise there. There's such a, a, a faith-building truth right there. God, I pray that your people would grasp it, Lord, that they would see how much you love them, and that when we humble ourselves and quit trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and just come to you and say, God, I'm poor, I don't have the resources, but you do, but I believe that you love me and that you want to make heaven available to me. God, that you're going to do that in their lives. God, I pray that as a church, Lord, that we would develop a heart for the poor in spirit, that we would see that there's such opportunities to be Jesus to people all around us that are poor in spirit. God, send us to them that they may come to know your comfort, that your kingdom may be manifested to them as well. We thank you for all this in the precious name of your son. Amen. Hey, don't ever forget that when you admit you need him, when you admit that your resources are insufficient and you believe that he loves you and wants to meet you in that place, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The Beatitudes uh, begin saying, blessed are. Uh, blessed is one of those things that everybody wants it, but few people know how to get it. Part of what we're teaching in this little series is how to be blessed and what it means to be blessed. Blessed in mind, blessed in spirit, blessed in body. The master then says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You ever had a time in your life where comfort is hard to find? You ever had a time in your life where you desperately need comfort or you just wonder what's going on? Well, that's one of the promises that Jesus offers to us. You shall be blessed with comfort when you hurt. We're going to take these scriptures and we're going to help people to understand why some of the things happen in their life today. Wow, I have to admit, I'm having a little trouble <clears throat> transitioning. The power and the truth of that message, DJ. I'm just soaking all that in. And now I gotta move forward. I, I'd just like to sit there for a while. I mean, that was very good. The truth of that message. Boy, you take these notes home. You just let God percolate in your soul with that truth. That was very powerful. Wow. God is so good. Close to three years ago, <clears throat> on a warm Thursday morning, we received a frantic call from our daughter, Heather. The voice on the other end of the line said, our baby's blue, our baby's not breathing. For me and Brenda, that was the first time in our life that we would experience mourning up close and personal. We'd experienced it, obviously, with grandparents and distant relatives. And there's a point in the life where you know that your grandparents need to go on to be with Jesus, and it's a good time. 
But when a newborn baby, that happens, you begin to feel the shock of that. We rushed over to their home just in time to see the uh, medical techs taking out the lifeless body of our little newborn grandbaby boy. And we stood there a moment before they took the baby away together as a family. Learned a lot from that day. A few things I want to share with you today in this message. That day for us would be kind of numb. I felt as a father, as a grandfather, helpless. I felt this deep, unrecognizable pain that I'd never experienced in my life. With that, I want to read to you and share with you the beauty of Jesus in this beatitude. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The scripture says that Jesus sat on the hillside and began to teach this sermon to all the people there. In my mind, in my own mind, I pictured Jesus looking out across the crowd that was gathered there and seeing a human face to these beatitudes he was about to share. I believe he saw someone there in poverty. I believe he saw maybe someone there who had lost someone in mourning. I believe he saw someone hungry, and I think he took the human face and put a spiritual truth to that lesson and that message. So I'm going to take this and kind of just take the simple essence of this beatitude and break it down. So let's start with what is mourning. You can go to a dictionary and get all sorts of definitions, and they're all good. But for me, I just define it as pain related to the loss of something important or meaningful. With that comes emotions of grief, heaviness, loss, hopelessness, anxiety. Those are emotions that can go many more that you may be able to describe even better than I. But I want to say this. Mourning isn't just about death. Mourning is about a loss of some kind. You can have mourning in your life over any kind of a change. The loss of a job, the move that you would make, children going out on their own. There's a mourning that can come with any of those. Obviously different levels depending on the degree of uh, the nature, but any kind of loss that causes mourning. So keep that in mind as we go through that this morning. Now for me as a pastor, I'd spent years learning the truth of this passage. I had helped many people, some of you here, through your own process of mourning. I knew pastorally what to do. I knew the verses to share. I knew the truths that were important for you to hear. But this day, on that Thursday morning, I earned that truth. I earned the understanding of what it would mean to realize where comfort would come from for me. And so I want to share that experience with you this morning. Where do we find comfort? Let's start with the story of Lazarus. Lazarus had uh, died. His family had sent for Jesus, and he came after he died. He had already been put away in a tomb, and they were grieving about the loss of a loved one. All right, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, were just struck with great grief. And so we read then in John 11, Jesus coming into that scene. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. I think they only saw that moment, but there's so much in that passage that we can learn about mourning today. He, Jesus was angered. 
He was troubled. He was weeping. These emotions that he carried in that moment represent a nature of God that we need to understand. Why was God angry? Was he angry at the people because they didn't have faith? No, that was not a part of that. He was angry at what sin and the disobedience of man had brought into this earth. God looks at our life with anger at the things that Satan has robbed and stolen and killed. And that anger wasn't at us. It was anger at that situation. He was troubled by what had happened, and he wept. He knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. Now think about this just for a minute. Jesus comes on the scene. He knows in a moment he's going to yell to this tomb, Lazarus, come forth. He knew that he would come out. So for Jesus, the weeping wasn't for this situation in that sense. It was for the people that were struck with the pain and the sorrow of that moment. He saw their heartache. So what can we learn from that? God looks into your life and your situation of mourning, and he cares for you. He cares for the situation you're going from. He's not distracted from it. He cares for you. He weeps in the situation that you go through in your own mourning. So where do we find comfort? We find comfort in Jesus' love. And that is the beauty of that passage of John. If you're here today and you have struggled in your life with a situation of mourning or you're in the middle of something, please know that Jesus comforts you. So why are we blessed then? How can we find blessing in the middle of our worst moment of our life? Well, I found it in that time through number one, God's presence. When we drove up to their house and we began to meet with our daughter and Jesse and all the grandkids, my mom and dad were there, all sorts of things. I can't describe to you, it was so quiet in our car driving up there. Brenda and I didn't know what to say to each other. We prayed, we silently prayed. But I remember coming to their house where the baby had passed and I remember just standing there on the side of a little hill in Castle Rock area, just feeling something beautiful about God taking place in my heart. I, I, I kind of cried out, God, I, I don't know what to do here. I, I, I know what to say. I understand all this, but I just don't know what to do. And I struggled with that. Here's something beautiful. The psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. There's such beauty in that passage. God, great God, almighty God, going about the business of eternity and life. When I cry, the scripture says he turns toward me. And that day, I got to tell you, I felt literally a spiritual envelopment of God surrounding me. And there was this moment where I knew this is painful, this is difficult, but God is with us. And what I sense in his presence right now is what's going to get me through here. And that was a very powerful moment. God gave me something that I never realized in helping other people. He gave me something, an understanding of a heavenly perspective. I shared later that uh, Wednesday night when uh, little Croy was born, uh, we went to the house there and I was holding the little boy and Brenda was dealing with the other grandkids and Heather was just pretty worn out after childbirth. And I remember I got my moment and I sat on the couch and I held this little newborn baby close to my chest my big arms and my big barrel chest and this little baby was up to my heartbeat and I just felt the little heart, my heart beating next to him. And I was just so amazed in that moment. And the next day, God gave me this understanding of his perspective. 
You see, the Lord spoke to me and said, Terry, on Wednesday, he was in your arms, but on Thursday, he's in my arms. And you need to know the beauty of that. You need to know that our loss, that our pain, that our difficulty, God's presence is with us, but his perspective is much far greater than ours in our earthly eyes. Number two, what I learned was the presence of others. The presence of others. I remember that my mom and dad were there and they had gone through grief in their own life and they just had a wisdom, a maturity, a comfort, a strength that provided it for both my daughter and Jesse, for Brenda and I. I just remember being there and they didn't have to say a lot. They were just there, the support of that. A little later, Pastor John and Chris pulls up. John, I remember, comes up to me and he just puts his arms around me and says, T, he said, hey, bro, I know you're in pain, but God is with you. God will help you through this. And I remember that moment of just feeling such sense of, of, of help. I don't even know, know the word to describe it. Just him just being there helped. And I, it, it led me to understand when we enter into people's lives what that means. In 2 Corinthians, we have this passage and, and listen to what happens here. Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So, there's a turn here to our responsibility. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Once we learn God's heart his presence, his truth in a situation, we are able to give that to others. And that's very important. Because, see, we don't, people who go through this with someone close to them say to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But if you get God's comfort, it's not so much what you say, it's you being there and being a part of their lives. Saying things is important. Saying the truth of God. Uh, offering just simple truth of God is very important. And, and being there, I think it's important too. Just practical things. First of all, being there is a big deal. And people say, well, I, I'm afraid to uh, go there. I'm afraid to say something because I'll say something stupid that would offend them. Listen, get that out of your mind right now. You being there, you just saying, I'm here. I love you. God will get us through this. It's huge. Let the Lord put the words on your heart, but you being there is big. Sometimes people who have gone through grief come to me and say, all my friends abandoned me. And I knew they were afraid, but I felt so alone. Let me encourage you, you be there. You be practical. Let me encourage you with this. Sometimes in the moment of that grief, all right, there's a real groundswell of support, but a few weeks later, these people are all alone. Don't forget that. Keep surrounding them with your comfort and your love. Sometimes it's in practical things. All right, we spent the day up there and we finally grabbed all the kids and we came down to our house and, and, and we were just going to move away from that, that sadness. And so we were at our house, a knock at the door, and there again is Pastor John and Chris. Now, this is a little bit funny. Maybe we shouldn't laugh, but it's a little bit funny. In the middle of our grief, Chris is standing there with a bucket of chicken. Now, here's the thing. In pastor school, they always tell you, in grief, bring a bucket of chicken. I, I don't get that rule, okay? I always thought when I brought chicken, how dumb is this, you know? But I learned that day what that meant because throughout the day, we really didn't think about eating. You, you, you don't think about things. And, and Chris says, look, y'all need to eat. Y'all, let's sit down. 
and let's just share this together. And let's just talk again about what God can do in this middle of this situation. It's the practical things. It's the things that you can think of. How can I help this person? How can I help comfort them? Just simple things like taking care of maybe a pet or uh, any of the logistics of things. You surround people with that comfort. It's very important. So anyway, being there, providing simple practical things. All right. All that's very good. All that's very clear. But I want to share a couple thoughts. What do we miss in the Beatitudes? You heard a taste of it. You heard a little clue of it in what Pastor DJ shared. All right, we read the Beatitudes simply with ourself in mind. We look at that framework as, I want to be happy, so I do these things and God will make me happy. We've missed something there. The Beatitudes isn't about us. It is about what God does. It is about who he is. It's about understanding him. So here's that, how that looks. Number one, insight into God's greater purpose. A blessed state comes from us trusting God. Whether it's in our poverty, whether it's in our mourning, in both of those situations, in the rest of the Beatitudes, it comes into God being the object, not ourselves. Now let me, let me show you what happens here. This is kind of interesting. <clears throat> let me give you a little silly story that really can represent what it looks like to God. Because we're always seeing from this perspective of us looking at life, but God is looking at life this way. And, and one of the things I loved doing uh, as a father and eventually as a grandfather was uh, little Easter egg hunts. Anybody do that here? Nobody? We need an all-church Easter egg hunt. These people need to learn what, what, how great that is. All right, so here's what happens. I love Easter egg hunts, okay? And so picture with me this idea of one of my little grandkids, all right? It's their first big hunt, and they're so excited, and they got their little basket. We got in the backyard. All the eggs have been placed strategically around the lawn, <laughs> you know, for the little ones. And so this is the first egg this little person uh, puts into their basket. They're excited, and you've seen this happen in the, in the franticness, and we got a bunch of grandkids. They're all running around. One of them gets bumped, and the little Easter egg gets knocked out, and the little uh, grandkid doesn't know, and they're looking around, and by then, you know, all the older ones have scooped up all the eggs, and all of a sudden, the little granddaughter, a little grandchild is sitting there with an empty basket and big tears. But here's the good thing. Here's the good thing about being a grandpa. Here's, I'm, I'm a pro at Easter egg hunts, okay? And everybody here knows that at a good Easter egg hunt, you always find that treasured egg. It's not an easy picking. It's really hidden well. And you really have to find that egg to get its treasure. And so all the kids have got their eggs and they're filled in the basket. So you take along your little grandchild and you say, come with me. Come with me. I think I know where one more is left. And you take them to that choice, prime, hidden spot. And the delight of their eyes to see that egg is so exciting. But here's the good part. What do you always do with the treasure egg, right? Do you put the little jelly beans in there? No way. You put what? Money. <laughs> yeah, money. You got, you got a $20 bill in that egg. Have you ever seen a grandkid open up an egg with 20 bucks in it? It's like bonanza. It's like payday, it's awesome, and they are so delighted. So in that simple story, I want to try to communicate the best I can how God looks at you. How God sees in your sorrow, in your pain, in your loss, and life will do that to you, but God says, come along with me. I've got something very special hidden for you. And if you'll trust God, he'll take you to that place in the middle of your grief, and he'll let you see from God's perspective the treasure that he has waiting for you. And it's going to happen if you put your trust in God. 
So first of all, is what is it that God, or insight into God's greater purpose? You may not understand your loss or circumstance, but God does. Number two, what is it that God grieves over? All right, Isaiah is writing the prophet. He's looking back at Israel, okay? Here's what he says. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love, in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them, and he carried them all the days of old. What is it that God grieves over? The prophet says there that as Isaiah looks back on Israel and all their disobedience, that God bore the weight of their disobedience, that God bore the weight of their faithlessness. He bore the weight of their sin, but it said that he loved them, he carried them, he redeemed them. He was grieved by their acts, but he was still there to carry them and to get them through. Now, Fast forward to Isaiah. He's looking now to the future, and he's speaking of Jesus. He's despised, rejected the men. A man of sorrow was acquainted with grief, and hid, as it were, from our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah looks at Jesus and says, out of his grief, he will carry our sins. Here's the deal. What does God grieve over? He grieves over us. He grieves over the spiritual condition of our life, and much in line with the poverty that DJ spoke about earlier. He grieves that we are going to try to struggle through life on our own, trying to figure it out with our own righteousness. But God grieves over our sinfulness. Your well-being, your future, anything that the enemy steals for you, God grieves over. So Jesus will wrap this up as looking at some uh, situation of doing a miracle on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were there trying to trick him into a condemning statement. Jesus responds and heals this man. After he heals that man in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, he looks at them and he says pretty much this word. He looked at them angrily. He was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Sometimes our ways of thinking, sometimes our struggle, our difficulty, God looks at and he's saddened by the hardness of our hearts. In your grief, do you grieve over sin? Do you grieve at what God grieves? Do you grieve at what God sees as our willingness to go this spiritual journey in our own flesh, in our own ability? Let God's grief touch your heart today. DJ's already prayed, and I'll pray in a minute, but I want to just wrap it up with this thought. As I was praying this morning, I was just thinking through this message, and I, I, I'm, I'm saying this as an introduction or an opportunity that I want to share with you. In the simple message of these Beatitudes, all of them, I, began to, I, I pulled it out and read them again. The simple message in, in all of these is in every blessing, God describes a longing that can only be found in him. In our poverty, our riches are found in him. In our mourning, our comfort is found in him. In our hunger, our uh, hunger is filled in him. You go through every one of those. It is a longing. I want to ask you today, do you have a longing for God? Do you have a longing for God? Seriously. If you're here today and you have a longing for God, we want to do more to help you with that. It is our responsibility. We stand before God as leadership team, as pastors who teach this. We stand before you. And we knew that coming in 20 minutes for each beatitude can't cut it. So I'm going to ask you to consider something that we're going to provide for you. We thought, okay, this is too good a stuff to knock it out. DJ hit a home run in 20 minutes. I don't know how you did that, but that was fantastic. But there's so much more that we want to dig into. So we're going to provide an opportunity tomorrow night, Monday night, May 6th, right? We're going to meet here in the auditorium, and this is for all of our campuses. We're going to do a special series of teaching following this because we feel there's so much more here we want to talk about. If you have a longing for God, I want you to consider coming. We're going to provide child care. We're going to have uh, teaching, 
discussion, questions, all sorts of stuff related to that. But we're going to take this to a level. I've seen the teaching material. It is absolutely amazing stuff. So I'm going to say to you, oh, Terry, are you doing a commercial? No, this is not a commercial. We want your soul care to be moving toward God in a very powerful, maturing way. And we're all busy. We all got stuff to do. But tomorrow night, I challenge you to make time for God to do something in your life. The treasure God wants to show you will be found in His truth and in His presence. And I want you to be a part of that. So here's all I need you to do. Go online today. We need to make arrangements for materials. We need to make arrangements for child care. You can't wait till tomorrow. Go online today or go in the lobby. There's a sign-up sheet. If you've got kids, we'll provide child care for your kids. But I challenge you, let's go further with this lesson. Let, we just... We felt so frustrated in 20 minutes. We gave you our best stuff in 20 minutes. And no, there's another hour of this that we could share of the riches of this truth. So if you're hungry and you long for more of God, let me challenge you to do that. So go online, go to our website. You can sign up there. It's very simple. Uh, deeper level, we call it Beatitudes 2.0. 7 o'clock to 8.30. It's not a long time, so come and be a part of that. We're going to close differently. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to dismiss you in a moment, but I want to just pray real quick. I, like DJ, have a heart of prayer for where you're at spiritually. If you would just close your eyes for just a moment, because I want this to be private. If you're here today and you are mourning, you have a loss in your life, whether it's a loved one recently or whether it's been a long time, but you are still working through that and struggling. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe a divorce has taken place in your life and you're grieving. Maybe it's a loss of a child, a prodigal child. I don't know. But you know and you can define something that you're struggling with in your life as a loss. Would you raise your hand? All right, many of you, many of you. Lord, I just reach out. I pray that the truth of this message will be carried in their hearts and their minds as they go forth. Let God begin to speak to them and show them everything that God did in our lives. We thank you for that today and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. See you tomorrow.